Everything F1. Driven by fans, for the fans. And it's lights out and away we go! is still on provisional pole. This time for Stefan and Hamilton have crashed out. It's McLaren and Ricardo that win the Italian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Uh, and alongside me today from the Everything F1 team, we do have Coops. Hiya, Coops. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for asking. I uh, had a great weekend at Silverstone. Uh, I met you for the first time in actual real life, which was great. And yeah, I'm sure was... the privilege was all yours. Oh, it was, it was good fun. <laughs> um, but also alongside us today, someone else that was at still Silverstone. And you might recognise her face. It's a lovely guest, Louise Goodman. Hi, Louise. Hello. Hello. Nice to be with you. Thank you for inviting me on. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for being on. And we've got a great race to talk about. Um, so we should get into it, really. So we are Everything F1. You can find us on all our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We've also uh, got TikTok and our website, www.everythingf1.com. And we would also love it if you were to subscribe to our podcast. Hit the subscribe button on your favorite streaming service uh, and give us a five-star review if you like what you hear. Okay, we have got Louise here with us today. For any people... People that might not know who you are, which I can't imagine there are many. Old people know who I am. Youngsters haven't <laughs> got a clue. <laughs> All right, uh, well, well, give us give us a kind of a one minute outline of who you are then before we go into a, a full review of the Silverstone Grand Prix. Okay, well, I I started out as uh, working on the uh, the PR side, so um, working for teams like my first team was a team called Leighton House, which some people probably won't even have heard of. Um, I was Eddie Jordan's press officer for a few years and then whilst working for EJ, I was approached by ITV when they were um, setting up to take over the coverage of F1 from the BBC. Um, so I became their, their pit lane reporter. So um was ITV's pit lane reporter in F1 for all till Lewis's um, first championship winning season. That was our final race. So we went out on a high. Yeah. Uh, but I still work for ITV um, alongside the likes of Steve Ryder, Tim Harvey, Paul O'Neill, um, covering, and David Addison, who's other commentator, covering the British Touring Car Championship for mm. um, live coverage on ITV4. Check it out if you're not already watching it. It's of great course. racing. Um, and alongside that, I run my own media training company as well. So working with a lot of um, young drivers up to some of the, you know, some of the F1 teams and engineers and, and um, personnel as well. So you've got loads of experience and loads of great stories, I can imagine, from the, uh, <laughs> the from your few. time in F1. Some of which are repeatable, some of which aren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope we can get some of the repeatable ones uh, on, the, on the show tonight. Um, okay, so we were at the Silverstone Grand Prix this weekend. Let's talk about that. I don't think we can go too far into the podcast without talking about um, what happened on the first lap of the first start of the race. Now, we haven't seen an accident like this 
um, in quite some time in Formula One, where a car has actually flown uh, over the Bataille barrier and into the catch barrier. Yeah, it was a really scary incident, wasn't it? I mean, thank goodness uh, and testament to the safety standards in F1 that everybody basically walked away from it. It's quite incredible. I was actually, as a, um, a sort of a, a WhatsApp group I'm on with lots of girls who work in motorsport, and several of them were sitting in that grandstand. So the grandstand is behind the, where the accident happened was the BRDC grandstand. So a lot of BRDC members and their guests were sitting in there. And some of the footage, in fact, one person's son kept filming. I mean, it was impressive. Mm. Most other people, I think, at that point ducked, but he just, just kept filming and car coming straight towards them. So it was a really, really scary accident. And I think, you know, when we saw it on the live coverage, you could see just a car in the background spiralling over. And, and as is rightly the case, um, in, in Formula One, nothing was shown until we knew that everybody was uh, was OK. Um, and I think there's always that that pause. I think if you if you followed Formula One for a while and, you know, particularly somebody who's worked in Formula One, I know the protocols and procedures. So we would always try and it's the same in the British Touring Car Championship. We'll always try and show an incident as quickly as possible because that confirms alongside the news that, that everybody's OK. And I think when there is a delay, yeah. getting that information through there's, there's always a concern but as i say i mean thank goodness everybody was fine just one of those freak incidents yeah it's so it's like a i guess there was a pincer movement that kind of kick-started it all off from george russell and who, who was the other person i can't remember now where coops well yeah. Al, obviously album was involved george russell uh one of the alphas um yeah, yeah. Gasly, that's it. Gasly was the one that was being pincered, um, and then yeah. George Russell kind of closed in on him, and he clipped the back of his tire, which sent then then sent him obviously into uh, to to the uh, Alpha Romeo, uh, and that's what flipped flipped him upside down. Uh, obviously, the roll bar uh, of the of the car itself kind of collapsed as well under the under the weight, but fortunately, obviously, the halo uh, obviously did its job, um, and you know. Sadly, the car flipped because it went into the gravel trap, yeah. um, which which kind of happens with the old kind of gravel traps. And, and that's probably why they kind of changed a lot of the gravel traps and runoffs. Well, uh, that gravel trap, sorry, there's me saying one of the alphas was involved. Of course, one of the alphas was involved. Yeah. I meant one of the uh, I think that the, the problem was that because uh, because um, Joe had kind of gone over the back of the car, he was already airborne, which meant that the... You know, the, there is that gravel there, but also, there's also a, a large stretch of tarmac there, which is obviously the way that circuits have gone these days is because that's where the cars will scrub off speed. Mm. But he was airborne before he ever got there. So, you know, that meant it was a kind of an, an old style accident in terms of flipping, you know, digging into the gravel and, and that flicking him over because the, the tarmac couldn't do the job it's designed to do um, yeah. because he was already flying over it. So that's what I mean about just just a freak accident. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we'll see the likes of that again for a very long time. It's just all the circumstances that kind of went went against them, I guess, uh, yeah. in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and then Al Albon Coops, uh, he he went into the concrete wall. Obviously, maybe just because of a maybe because he saw what was going on ahead of him, kind of dis a slight distraction, um, and and then kind of hammered, hammered it in quite quite sharply into the wall. And he was hospitalised actually, and he was in a worse condition than Joe Guanyu because um, he was in the hospital for a bit longer, I think, at the time. Yeah, I mean, he was it was it was Vettel that happened, which yeah. pitched him into the barrier, and then as he came off the barrier, they was then hit I think two more times. So obviously the G-force sensor must have tripped on his accident, which is the the sign to say no, you're not going back to your your pit, you're going to hospital. 
Yeah. You know, that sensor's went off, you're coming with us. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was all precautionary checks. Aston Martin, Martin Williams came out and said quite quickly, you know, he's away to hospital, but it's purely precautionary. We want to double check everything. Uh, and he actually did say, there is a video on Twitter of him telling the marshals and the people that came over to him not go and check on uh, Joe uh, first. You know, I'm fine. Just yeah. now, just leave me here, go deal with that and come back to me sort of thing. Yeah, it was... It's, it's a a racing incident that, that, as you say, it's just something that we probably aren't going to see again. Well, I mean, we're going to see a racing incidents in the first corner, but not to that extreme. And mm. as well, with most of these kind of freak accidents, there's so many things that have to happen at the right time for it to happen. And 99 times out of 100, they don't. And one at 100, it does. So thank goodness that Joe Guan Yu is, is fit and healthy. I'm going to put air quotes because I'm sure he's, he's very shaken up about it because nobody likes to see that and nobody want, would want to be included in that. But the, the halo did its job. All the safety features that F1 have developed over the years have done absolutely brilliantly and saved his life. Let's not put it less than that. Those things were life-saving in this, this incident. And for sure there will be a lot of further investigation after that incident as well to see, like, can we change anything? Can we improve anything? You know, which aspects of the safety work best with you know so that's that's something i think that's improved quite dramatically in the time that i've been in formula one um mm-hmm. and and you know my time has always been a relatively safe time if you compare it to the you know the sort of 50s and, and particularly the you know the 60s um yeah. it, it's uh you know my time in the sport has been very safe but the the amount of um research that goes into every incident now and it's not just in formula one you know i was I was at um, Donington uh, the weekend that um, working at Donington covering the race when Billy Munger had his huge accident. And actually some of the learnings that came out of that accident have been applied to the Formula One cars. So, you know, the the, the left hand talks to the right hand now from a, from a safety perspective, which is really good. Good. And I think George Russell said we just need to learn some things from this as well. Um, so obviously everyone always has that on their mind. Uh, and fair play to George. He was up out of his car as soon as he saw the accident and, and ran over ran towards uh the you know the danger as it were putting his himself out of the race because he could potentially have got that car round to the pit lane to to be fixed in the time frame but obviously his moral compass kind of put, pushed him towards the incident at the time which is you know fair play to him uh, especially at a home race but even so i think people have come out after that callum eilert he said when he flipped his first um racing cart uh, george russell was did a similar thing and got up out of his car and sacrificed his race uh, to write or, or to help Callum Isla in the very early kind of stages of their career. Okay, well, I think we should move on from, from the incident, although it was a massive incident and we're happy that everyone is, is safe, but we will learn from it. Hopefully F1 will move forward and, and we won't see much of that again in the future. Let's talk about the race itself. The race itself was an absolute belter, I've got to say. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I don't know whether that was just because I was there in the moment and enjoying the, the live uh, race that was on uh, on the track in front of me, but I really thought this was like God tier level uh, Formula One racing. What did you think, Louise? I think it was a, one of those races that we all wait for in Formula One. Um, you know, some of the Grand Prix are not as exciting as others. It's a fact, isn't it? You, you know, sometimes the circuits aren't conducive to those wheel-to-wheel racing. Um, Silverstone is one of those tracks that that does induce it a bit more. Um, and yeah, it was just 
it, it, as I say, it's what we wait for. You know, there were some fantastic wheel-to-wheel battles. There were there was just something going on up and down the pit lane throughout the race in, in various different shapes and forms. And there was lots of uh, talk on the radio and kind of back and forth with, te- with teams. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was, it, there was constantly things to watch and things to take in. Um, but our eventual winner was first-time winner uh, and first-time pole sitter as well, uh, Carlos Sainz. So he did a, a double uh, over the weekend, which was uh, fantastic. It's great to see. I don't think there would be one unhappy person seeing Carlos Sainz uh, on. No, it was one of those. It was one of those lovely results. Those results where the you know, and I, I've been lucky enough to be there for quite a few of them. When the entire pit lane comes out, the applauds as the as the driver you know comes through and goes down to Park Ferme. It mm. nobody would be upset in any way, shape, or form about that. You know, he's a. He's a he's a great driver. He's a nice guy. Yeah. You know what's what's not to love about seeing Carlos Sainz not only getting getting his first pole but getting his first win as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. The only person that probably would be disappointed would be Charles Leclerc. Um, well, this is uh, true. But, but, but do you know what? I think once he reflects, I think he would still have been quite happy for him. Obviously, in the moment, he's going to be frustrated because yeah. the strategy didn't didn't pay out for him. Um, but I think, you know, that that's understandable. Any driver would be like that when they've been leading a race and then suddenly things turn around and they're, they're finishing off the podium. So, but I think once he sits down, I'm sure he will have done, you know, he'll have sat down and he'll have had a look at it. He'll have analysed it. They'll have talked it through. You know, he's, he's going to be very, very pleased, pleased for the team to win. I would think on a personal level, he'd be quite pleased for Carlos to win. They seem, you know, quite close. They get on very well. So yeah. um, it's, a, it's a nice racing partnership, a nice bit of, you know, a nice team atmosphere there amongst the drivers. So I'm sure he'll be happy for him. But I think when it's, you know, when you're in the moment for any driver, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Of course. Can you explain what happened, Coops? Just go into a bit of detail uh, for our viewers that may maybe they missed part of the race between kind of the Carlos Sainz situation with uh, Charles Leclerc. Well, in the shortest possible term, Ferrari, Ferrari did it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they seem to have a tendency to do these things, and I don't know if it's just I've seen it from the outside in, but ultimately they should have brought Leclerc in, double-stacked them, uh, after the Ocon uh, safety car, double stacked and brought them all out on the softs. Leclerc, did, they didn't do that. Leclerc ended up on very old hards. Everybody else around him had softs and he was a sitting duck. He was going to get past at some point and he did. He ended up, it ended up going from a, a could have been a possible 1-2 to a 1-4. Uh, See, I, I disagree with the, the fact that Ferrari shouldn't have done that because I think... Charles Leclerc was saying it was, show, was showing a bit of damage anyway onto his front wing. Had he brought him in, obviously he would have been on the fresher rubber. But but would one of the other, you know, teams uh, overtaken at that point? Would would that would Lewis Hamilton say, for example, stayed out because he had quite fresh rubber on anyway? So he would have been in front and more difficult to pass. I don't know. I think I think probably oh. in in hindsight, I think they they probably did an okay job. Ferrari. No, they, they they should have brought him in. They had the time to do it. Everyone else around him was going in. Like, mm. So it's a free pit stop. Uh, Leclerc was actually faster than Saints when he had his damaged car. So that's, you know, Saints didn't have a great weekend, although he did win and it fell for him. Mm. Uh, and he, he he showed that wee bit of steel, almost similar to the Multi-21 with Sebastian Vettel when, you know, Ferrari came over the radio and said, you know, give Leclerc that 10 car lights. 
And he went, no. Stop. He said stop inventing, I think it was. It's just quite good. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 I'm I'm racing, you know. Yeah. Don't start. Because Leclerc, Le- Ferrari knew at that point, like, you know, Leclerc's a sitting duck. So let's back up. Let's see. Like, get Sykes to back it off. And Sykes did exactly what he should have done and says, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I've got a race uh, of my own to kind of win them. And I, and I think as well, the interesting part, I think we all saw on the coverage, uh, I mean, I was there for the Friday and the Saturday. I never got tickets for the Sunday. So I was back home. And so I was able to see Bonotto giving it the finger wag- wagging to Leclerc at the end. And it was kind of a case of, <laughs> right, when they talk to you, uh, this is what you're saying. Uh, we'll have a chat later. Uh, and you could see when Leclerc was ch- chatting in the media pen, he wanted to say something. <laughs> you, know, you know, and the question was, you know, what did Bernardo say to you? You know, just at the side, oh, he was trying to cheer me up. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, I like yeah. to get cheered up with a finger in my face, you know. Uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, I'm sure it was, uh, it wasn't quite as amicable behind the scenes. I'm sure there was a, a bit of a tense situation. Uh, and now it leaves Leclerc only 11, 11 points ahead of his, uh, his teammate, uh, in the championship race, which is not where Leclerc should be, uh, and it's in, in a sit in a, in a time where Verstappen was having such a bad race, which we'll get on to. You know, Leclerc could have really got close to him, and it didn't happen. Uh, he wouldn't have got that close. The difference in points was not. It's not like there was a fifty-point gap between them. I think at yeah. this stage in the season, it's very difficult to say we're putting all of our you know, all of our efforts behind driver A or driver B. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I actually, whilst the race was going on, because I was like thinking, okay, we can see what's going to happen here. I actually looked up at the points difference. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but, it, you know, it was it was a race win in a bit or something. So I think it's not sizable enough at that stage to say, this is our driver who we're, we're backing for the championship when we've got as many races as, as we have to, to still go. Mm. It's all very interesting, isn't it? Max Verstappen, obviously, uh, after the race, has, has also pulled out the piece of uh, the Alpha Tauri car. Sizable bit of car, wasn't huge, it? That was huge. Huge bit of carbon fibre that he picked up on the way, which is, was causing that damage and that lack of downforce. Yeah, it, it basically got trapped under, I think it was the Venturi Tunnel. It, it's, it lodged at the entry to the Venturi Tunnel, which meant that it lost a, a large chunk of his rear downforce. Yeah. Uh, and within two corners, I think Max Verstappen said afterwards, within two corners, he thought, the car was broken. He thought there was, as you saw, he thought it was a puncture. He saw it. He saw the the the, the debris. He thought if I hit it head on, it'll go sideways or above, or you know, <laughs> it decided to go straight under. <laughs> and you know that was pretty much the end of his race. It was never going. One to... of those moments when he saw it go in, but he never saw it come out again. So yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it was in two corners of doing that. His car was all over the place, and I think that was it. Which you know. That then led to some interesting racing with Mick Schumacher later on in the Grand Prix. So, you know, we got we got something. Maybe not so, what Mick Schumacher, uh, uh, Verstappen wanted to be doing, but, you know, we enjoyed it. So. Yeah, it comes to something when uh, Max Verstappen's uh, battling for like eighth position or seventh position or whatever it is. It's, you don't see that very often, do you? Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Sergio Perez, who had an absolutely fantastic run. Uh, obviously, uh, he, he came from what was essentially the rear um, and got it up into onto the the, the podium. Um, fantastic effort. He was the driver of the day for obvious reasons because of that. 
Um, we just didn't see that happening at the start of the race. And, and, the, and the safety cars and how everything fell just fell right into his lap, didn't it, Louise? I mean, that's, that's you know, we, we see that, I say quite often, it's obviously a lot easier in the British Touring Car Championship. It's a lot easier to overtake. The racing is a lot closer. So that's something that, you know, drivers can do more often during the course of a race. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say it happens every weekend. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's a relatively, um, maybe a couple of times during the course of the season, you'll happen. But for it to happen in Formula One, I think it takes, you know, it takes more, it, it takes a safety car, quite frankly, because if you've fallen that far behind the field, um, you know, chances are it's going to be very difficult just under normal circumstances to make up that pace and to get back to a podium position. I mean, it was just fantastic. What I always find interesting in that situation is it just kind of proves that you can't let your head down at any point because um, mm. you've just you've got to stay sharp, you've got to stay focused, and you've got to stay, you know, hungry so that if you're thinking, well, phew, damn it, you know, all hope of this race is gone. Um you're not going to put in the effort that, which is what we saw Perez do, and and you know end up with with that fantastic result. So it, it's kind of um, the bit of yin and yang going on there, wasn't there? I mean, obviously things were going backwards for his teammate, but that would have um, put the smile back on the faces of uh, of of the guys in the team, the guys and girls in the team, to see their other driver um, going forwards, one going forwards whilst the other one's going backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of, yeah, as you say, yin and yang, positives and negatives for for Red Bull to take from it. Really, um, yeah, it, it was it was a good race for for Sergio. I was really, you know, even though he was battling out with the British, you know, the the, the home talent, um, it was still great to see him on the on the podium. I, everyone's got a soft spot for Sergio Perez as well, I think, uh, which is you know, it's evidence but evidenced by how well the fans got behind him as well, even though he was against. You know the, the the home the home driver of Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Lewis Hamilton did come in third after some fantastic overtakes. Um, obviously, uh, on the first start before the accident, he overtook a couple so, and, and got the car straight into third. What race that would have been, uh, we we just don't know. Um, then when it all got reset again, it took him a little bit longer to get back to where to where he was uh, battling with the front two. Um, but he had some fantastic overtakes. Uh, obviously, he did. He always says he gets an extra boost uh, from being at home. Um, and you could tell, you know, uh, and being there in person, the crowd absolutely love Lewis Hamilton. Um, it's and- incredible hearing the roar, isn't it? You know, mm. the, the cars aren't as loud as they used to be, but hearing the roar of that crowd, it it can't help but inspire a driver, I think, just to know that there's everybody is out there cheering you know, cheering for them and 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 willing them on. Mm. Uh, but I do love the fact that at the British Grand Prix, you know, we saw it in the response and the reception um, that Saints got. Um, and I've been lucky enough to experience it. You know, going around on the on the truck for the drivers' parade back in the day is that the and it's something that the drivers talk about that the level of respect for all of the drivers and teams. And I think particularly in these what we could only call well we'll politely call partisan times <laughs> when there is um, a fair amount of tribalism which i find very unattractive mm. um uh, and that's a polite way of pushing it i think it's really nice to um you know to 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 see that level of respect and appreciation for all of the drivers all of the teams and the spectacle you know yes i'm sure a lot of the crowd would love to see lewis get a win but to be quite honest i think given expectations going or coming off the back of the last race, we say. I mean, obviously, people knew that they brought some updates with them. Um, but, you know, 
if you told people after the last race that Lewis was going to be on the podium this weekend, they'd have said, right, cool, I'll take that. That's fantastic. You know, it's that the hometown hero is is, is up there taking the, the, the applause of the, of the crowd. So, yeah. Well, uh, the, the, and there were several points in the race that he could have been, you know, in the lead and stayed in the lead. It was just the way, you know, everything unfolded uh, on the day. Um, but a fantastic position to get that car into third. Is it a sign that Mercedes have finally ironed out those kinks? Have you spoken to anyone in the paddock, Louise, that kind of no, saved you information? No, no, no. I um, I wasn't kind of at Silverstone on journalistic duty, so right. I um, I you know, I, I didn't have conversations with anybody in the in the paddock afterwards. So, um, in fact, probably shouldn't say this. I I, I was in the car when the race finished. <laughs> I, I left before the race finished. I decided to beat a hasty exit. I was just jumping in my car, you know, when the, when the safety car came out. So I was right. listening to uh, to Silverstone Radio. So to my my touring car colleague David Addison and, and Bob Constantinus um, giving all the commentary. And in fact, because I live not far from Silverstone, I thought it's either going to take me twenty minutes to get home or it's going to take me two hours and twenty minutes to get home. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go for the twenty minutes option. But I actually had to pull the car over just as I went over the M40. I was losing the signal and the race hadn't finished. I thought, no, I'm going to have to stop now. I can't like go out of signal and miss the end of this race. So, so no, I didn't get a chance to talk to to anybody afterwards. But I think, I mean, you know, Mercedes are going to be keeping their expectations um, in check. It's it's great that they've seen, you know, um, an, a, an improvement in performance. I'm not sure how track specific it was. I'm not quite sure how much it will translate through to, you know, to, to, Spielberg and and other circuits to come, um, but um, they will be pleased that at least they're you know they they've made some progress. I think the drivers are really pleased that they've made some progress as well because you know Lewis was able to race and mm. and there's been times when he's barely been able to drive the car, let alone let alone race it. You know we didn't get a chance to see what George could do with it. Um, it really didn't you know things luck didn't wasn't on his his side this weekend um, either. You know it didn't go that well for him in qualifying and obviously only saw the first couple of hundred yards of the race. So, yeah. um, which will be, uh, I would imagine, you know, that'll be frustrating for, obviously frustrating for George, but frustrating for the team as well, because that's a lot of data that they failed to collect during the race that that will be very handy for them in terms of, you know, the performance indicators of the improvement that they have made, but also how that might, um, you know, how that might uh, change things going forward. So, yeah, well, they did bring some uh, updates to the car, didn't they, Coops, uh, for this week? Obviously, um, it, it seemed to have done the trick for Silverstone. Uh, what are your thoughts and what have you heard from around all the journalists that you kind of follow and, and listen to? Uh, I mean, they, they brought a raft of upgrades, and I, I don't know how to hang because it's quite it was quite a substantial uh, list, I think, and majority of them seem to have worked. Uh, as Louise touched on, the lack of data from George was, is going to be disappointing because he was the only guy on hard at the start of the first, the, the initial start mm. from the whole field. So he was, that was part go, of the problem, maybe maybe less less grip, less heat in the tyres? Well, that he didn't get a good start, but they mm. knew that was going to happen. They knew we were going to suffer some pain, but they were looking to bring it for later. Uh, of course, we're never going to know if that was ever going to work. Uh, but I think Total Wolf came out of the coverage at the end of the race, uh, and I, you know it was one of those Grand Prix where I watched it when I got home live, woke up in the morning, watched the highlights in Channel Four, then stuck the race, the full race, back on Channel Four again, and just left it on. I thought, <laughs> right, I'm going to listen to like there was a lot going on, and I like I just need to have it 
on and try and figure some of the stuff out. And, Has anybody know, ever suggested that you might need to get a bit of a life coat? Uh, yes, uh, quite a few times. Yes, I've spent the day painting a, a room to put all my Formula One stuff in there, so that it's out the way. Uh, you know, part of the reason why I've got a new house so I can get punted out the road. Uh, you know, kudos to the other half who actually it was her idea to go to Silverstone, and she's not a Formula One fan. That was so, only rid of you for a couple of days. Well, no, she was there with That's me and my twin. Oh yeah, she brought. She she drove. Uh, you know, I passed my test the day before and I said, I can help. She went, no, you're not driving in a motorway the day after you've just passed the test. <laughs> uh, so she drove us down. She wandered around, me and my 12-year-old, while we uh, got a bit overexcited about cars. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so, yeah, there was, you know, Mercedes, I think Lewis Hamilton basically described it as they're not round the corner, they're kind of on the corner. So they haven't turned the corner yet to get to deal with this car. And from from what we've seen, the Mercedes is a very track specific car. Yeah. It might work this week and be third. And then you could see them struggling to hit the Q3 uh, next weekend. Uh, it's just the type of car they've got at the minute. But I mean it was it's pleasant. For them to see, look, he was out, so he's on the podium. Hamilton's on the podium. We had a good race. He was able to battle somebody through cops and not have social media blow up like last year. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was some pass, mind you. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, yeah, Mercedes are there. They shouldn't be where they are, but, you know, it's just the way the cookie crumbled this year. Uh, okay, well, let, let, let's move on to somebody else. We've, we've, okay. We've, We've added loads of time onto uh, for, for Mercedes. What about McLaren? Uh, and oh. uh, we're, we're not so secret McLaren fans on the Everything Everyone podcast. So let's touch on their race weekend. Um, Lando Norris, good. Daniel Ricciardo, mm, getting there, but not where? so good. Getting get, get, get where? Further to yeah. the back? No, oh, come well, on. It was harsh. a horrible weekend. Harsh. For them. <laughs> probably fair. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's nothing's, it's just, I don't know what it is. It's it, every weekend, we, we all kind of like Daniel Ricciardo. We love his smile, we love his attitude, we love his character. And every weekend, we're like, this is it, you know, fourth, fifth, third. And then he's 13th out of 14 runners. Mm. And he was what? never at it the whole weekend. So, what do you make I of did, that? Um, Ast- one uh, of the things I was doing over the weekend, I was doing some interviews in the paddock club, and I interviewed Mika. Uh, Hakkinen, and we were talking about that. He came up with a really interesting, um, not a theory in terms of the difference between them, but he said one thing that could make a bit of a difference. Um, and I thought, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Um, is that there's obviously something inherent in the car that Lando can get more out of it than um than Daniel can. Um, and Mika was saying. He and his generation of drivers, and obviously Daniel's a lot younger, but he was still from that same generation. They've grown up feeling a car through their ass, basically. They don't use their eyes. They use, you know, they're behind. It's, it's all in the, in the feel of a car. Whereas he said the, the new generation, they've grown up driving on simulators and games. And so they drive a lot more with their eyes, 
So the fact that when you've got a car that doesn't feel right, it's impacting a driver who drives with his ass more than it's impacting a driver who drives with his eyes. And I mm. thought that's a really interesting theory. I don't know whether there's any. Um, well, I mean, you know, how much Mick, there is Mick, in it. But hey, listen, Mika Hacken is going to know more about you know what a driver feels than, than I am. Mm. So I thought, oh, no, that, that could well be something that you know a, a, a younger driver who is used to driving with their eyes and with their sight a lot more than would have been traditional is is going to have that focus that additional focus that additional feel for the car that that a driver who hasn't grown up spending every hour god sends you know on 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 games and and on sims is, mm. is not going to have that that same facility well M- mika would be a a great authority to, uh, to to kind of give us that kind of insight anyway wouldn't he so yeah. you've got to got to Got to give it to Mika for that, um, certainly. Um, Kips isn't looking convinced. <laughs> I mean, the, we know the McLaren cars are a, a, a very strange beast, I think. Even in the previous generation, Ricardo was driving it, wasn't doing what, he was, what we expected him to do. And I think Carlos Sainz says, we had car that in it, or something was. But even Carlos Sainz knew that the McLaren's a strange beast to drink. So... You might be right, there is something in it. There's clearly something Ricardo can't get a handle on. And someone who's won a Grand Prix seven times and has, you know, the, the manoeuvres and the passing that he's done over the years in the Red Bull. Don't uh, that ability. You don't, you know, it's a bit like Vettel. Vettel was the last year at Ferrari. You don't forget how to drive a car. Just sometimes the car just doesn't work for you. Doesn't it's, talk to you. Yeah, and... You know, it could be that Ricardo's just one of those numerous uh, drivers where when Formula One evolves and moves and adapts to somewhere else, he kind of gets left behind. He just doesn't he doesn't have that feel. As you've said, Louis, he's a bit like the feel. He doesn't have the feel for the car anymore. And if you don't have the feel for the car, you can't do what you want it to do. So maybe, maybe he's just getting left a wee bit behind in the new generation of cars. I don't know. I don't know where he'd go if McLaren stuff if the McLaren situation doesn't get any better. I mean, who would take a punt on him? Especially with the kind of talent that's floating around, the Piastri and the rest of them, you know, sitting behind, uh, waiting in the wings. It's, uh, it's, he's on a bit of a bubble, I think, with his Formula One career, let alone McLaren, all honesty, I think. It might be sad. Yeah, I'd be sad to see him go because he's always a, a, quite a popular character. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to see an Australian... Uh, world champion. I thought he could be that next champion. Um, have you spoken to to Danny Rick in the past, uh, Louise? Have you kind of had a good a good conversation with him about anything like this? Uh, anything about this? No, I mean not about as I as I mentioned earlier on. You know, I, I'm I'm not as I wasn't at Silverstone this weekend. I'm I tend to be. I'm I'm working at the Grand Prix, some of the Grand Prix, but I'm not there in the traditional journalistic capacity that I would have been previously. I've been doing some. Um, some online corporate shows for for Formula One and hosting the Paddock Club and that kind of thing. So um, it, it doesn't. I don't need to be in there with the drivers. They've got enough people, talk, you know, who need to talk to them without talking to to somebody who you know doesn't need any of their time to to do the job that I'm I'm there to do. So no, I mean we you know we'd say hello and how how's it going if I pass them in the paddock, but I haven't had any in depth you know conversations with with him about uh, and to be quite honest I think you know if I was going to have an in-depth conversation with Daniel I wouldn't be saying to him oh what's wrong mate why can't you drive this car because he's probably sick to death of people talking <laughs> to him about that yeah very true very true 
Okay, well, let's go around and just choose one other person to talk about, uh, whether you were impressed or unimpressed with their performance, because um, we don't want to speak about every single team or driver, because we'd be here all night. Um, I'll That's go. All. Ah, okay. We'll go to Louise. You've got to go for me first. Yeah, I yeah, jumped let, in there let, just in case. Just let's in case. Go, let, let's go to person I thought was. I suddenly <laughs> noticed halfway through the race. I mean, obviously, I'd you know I'd watch qualifying. Damn it, you know, Vettel mm-hmm. at the back or near the back, and uh, um, and he was he suddenly popped, and I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, how's he got there? Has he has he not stopped? <laughs> and everybody else has stopped. No, no, he's he's stopped. He's you know he's 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 got up there. I'm not quite sure how it's happened because I wasn't paying that much attention. But so mm. I was really pleased. You know, Seb's one of the drivers from from my generation of of covering Formula One. So um, and I, you know I've always found him a really nice guy to deal with. I, I like the bloke. Um, Aston Martin is as I was saying to Coops earlier on is you know that's my old team. It as was Jordan, and I still know a lot of people there. So. Um, I, I find it quite sad to see the the struggles that they've been going through the last couple of years, you know, because they, they've been there or thereabouts, you know, they've been, they've always been the little team punching above their weight. Um, they've continued doing that in the last few years. And it seems like suddenly Aston Martin's come on board and, and it's, you know, they're not the little team punching above their weight anymore. They're mm. they what should be a, a bigger team, um, a sort of under underperforming and under delivering so i was really really happy to see vettel get that by this season standards you know good good result for the team yeah absolutely i agree with that i i do agree with that he's he does perform well um and he does kind of just put in these performances that you just go hang on is you know with that machine that he's got it's it's not the not the best and not the quickest cars out there but he does he does put strong performances into the race. Uh, I think he would have. Yeah, I was. I was commenting actually, um, only half jokingly, that he was probably having a lot more fun earlier on in the day driving, you know, Nigel Mansell's um, championship-winning Williams around the circuit, doing some doing some demonstration laps. That was probably the most fun he was going to have driving a Formula One car all day. But I think probably by the end of the afternoon, he would have uh, had a smile on his face about the result as well. So that was good. And what a car that was as well. But we digress. That, that's a, it was really it's it was worth wonderful digressing for. Oh, it was, oh, it was yes. wonderful to watch. It was. Uh, and here. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, well, that's what F1 car should sound like. But we like, we've got what we've got. Um, mm-hmm. So we have to enjoy it. Uh, okay, Coop, so you're going to, who are you going to talk about? Oh, so many to mention. Uh, I mean, we could mention, we need to touch on Latifi jumping into the Q3. Who would have thought? <laughs> You know, I was there for qualifying and then it was like, he's Q3. So, and I mean, I was there on the hill at Vale and going, how did, what, he's where? <laughs> uh, okay, interesting. Uh, that was the best week, that was the best part of the weekend. Uh, unfortunately, my son is a Verstappen fan. And I, I, I mean that teasingly, I don't have any issue against him, but he's stoning around in his new hat and his big yellow, his big orange uh, Verstappen, his football style top and, uh, the biggest cheer we had when we looked over was uh, when Verstappen spun during qualifying right in front of everybody. So he was like, oh. Uh, so he was he was chuffed a bit to see Verstappen getting up. Not quite pole, but getting there. Um, but yeah, Latifi, just, it just clicked for him. Uh, in still, qualifying. In qualifying. I mean, he really got, <laughs> what was it he got? He got 12. Well, he beat Ricardo, which is not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> You know, at least Williams, the upgrades they brought, because, I mean, they brought a lot of stuff as well. Uh, mm. Almost a new car, kind of redesigned the back end of it. 
Uh, at least it showed that something's working in that car. Again, Albon, same as Russell, you're not going to know how uh, the new car's going to work with Albon because he got pretty much the same distance as Russell at the start. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's good for them. Mick Schumacher, I think, he finally got the points and I've been saying every time we do a race predictions, my bull predictions, Mick Schumacher's going to get a point. Uh, and he gets a couple. Uh, and he has a really good scrap with Verstappen. A few people on our chat thought of that and I've seen on social media that the, the racing with Verstappen and Mick was a bit too harsh. And no, he I don't think I'm so. Like, no, no. Pretty, every single driver would have done what Verstappen did exactly where he put it. They, they trusted enough of each other to be able to do it. Uh, and it's, it was nice. I didn't realise till after that the, his sister and his mum were in the, the garage. So it was uh, a wee heartstring, I think, more because of the, you know, with, with the situation with Michael. You know, seeing the family all happy and the hugs, it's uh, it was nice to see. Uh, and as and, Eddie Jordan, Jordan couldn't resist pointing out at the circuit where Michael had his first drive in a Formula One car. Oh yeah, that's right. So he did, and a Jordan, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, the, yeah, uh, I'm going to who shall I choose then? I'm going to choose oh, Sonoda, Sonoda Hit Gasly. Mm, that yeah. was a oh, we yeah. their press off at the moment. Intra yeah. team battles, and yeah, it's not not good to take off your uh, teammate. Oh, it wasn't even a pass, he no. just came straight down the inside and he lost it and took out Gasly. And yeah, it was friends, number and, one. Don't yeah. take out your teammate. Absolutely, there'll be uh, stern yeah. words in the back at the garage for those two. Oh, you, you certainly don't take it your teammate when you've got Helmut Marco and Franz Torst as a couple of your bosses. <laughs> uh, I just, I just will go back to the pit and be like, catch it. I'll be doing a Kimi Raikkonen out the centre and back to my apartment or on the boat. Like, catch you later. <laughs> <laughs> they have to come in. I Okay, well, that's our review of Silverstone anyway. It was, I, well, I think it was a great race. It was certainly God tier for me, um, but maybe I was, you know, it was because I was there uh, and in, in the pit, kind of in the paddock watching it from uh, a vantage you, you, point that I've never seen before. You call it God tier when you spent most of the afternoon on our group chat sending the screenshots from the Sky coverage. There's me! Oh, there's me again. Oh, there's me again. I'm there. You can see Look, me. Man. You know, it's a bloody outline of what looks like you. Like, is it really you? It was. It was me. Okay. We, we have got a race coming up this weekend. And all we're going to do for Austria Spielberg preview is make a prediction. Because uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, com coming up very shortly. Uh, rather than do a full kind of breakdown of the, the preview itself. Um, we're just going to do a prediction. Who do you think will be the top three for Spielberg Austria? And I'm going to go to Coops first to, to be the put you on the spot and decide who you think you're going to be top three this weekend. Hey, oh, Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're not going that bold uh, in, no. in this instance. You're going quite like I think the Red Bull's quite like the Austrians. I think it kind of suits them a wee bit, and I don't... The I Red Bull ring? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're well, probably you're right. <laughs> uh, I don't know where I got that from. Uh, and also, I don't trust Mercedes quite enough yet right. to start putting them in there. I think if they have a good solid race in their fourth, fifth, maybe third this weekend, because let's face it, my predictions are never right, uh, <laughs> then, you know, maybe I'll start thinking that they're going to have something. But just now, I'm going to keep it safe just now, but you know, never know. We will see. Louise, I'm going to put you on the spot as well. Can you pick a podium for us? 
I'm really rubbish at predictions. I never won the ITV sweepstake. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go just to shake it up a bit. I can't shake it up too much with the winner. I think that's going to be Verstappen. Um, then I will go um, Verstappen. Uh, pick another driver. Leclerc Norris. Oh, yes. That, <laughs> see, that's good. Get, get a Brit up there as well. Why not? Let's get uh, and a McLaren at that. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to say Leclerc's going to come back. And he's going to really, really annoy the uh, the, the Red Bull ring fans. Uh, and he's going to plant it on the top step. Um, then I think Max Verstappen will come second. And I'm going to put Lewis Hamilton in third again. Just, you know, just just because I think the momentum, sh- it needs to it needs to uh, to change. And I hope, your predictions I hope are will. always from the heart. Yeah, <laughs> I go I go with my heart and not and not my head. That's, that's, that's why I never won the ITV suite. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, that's enough about kind of Formula One that's like that's been on last weekend or that's going to be on uh, at the end of the week. Let's talk to our lovely guest, Louise Goodman, who's been in the Formula One world for a very long time, in the motorsport world uh, for a long time. And uh, obviously probably seen a lot uh, of, of things happen um, through the years. Uh, so you say you were you worked with Eddie Jordan first. Uh, with his team. No, I worked with a team called Leighton House first. Oh, Leighton House, sorry. Well, yes, fact, did, sorry. Before that, I worked for a guy called Tony Jardine, who the older amongst your viewers will know of Tony because he was one of yes. our pundits when well, on the ITV coverage, but Tony had a PR company. So, um, and uh, Camel was his first major client. So Tony looked after the, the PR for Camel Lotus and I looked after the PR for the sort of what they called the ancillary driver. So it was like... Um, LaRousse, who else was in the mix? Benetton, um, I can't think which other teams they they had a spot, Tyrrell. So I used to basically sort of do the, the PRE bits with uh, with those other drivers. So I started out there, then Leighton House and then Jordan. Ah, okay. So I mean Leighton House, they they're quite a prolific name. Um was that where was that where Adrian Newey started as well? Was that was absolutely that, Adrian uh, that's and I started, right, yeah, yeah. started at the same team at pretty much the same time. We um we we try and get together and have a an annual dinner in Monaco every year, which sadly it, it clashed with touring cars this year. So we missed our annual dinner. But yeah, oh. Adrian and I uh, yeah, we he laughed about well, we both laugh about the fact that um his uh his um the 89 car. Um, which actually back in the day, you know, it didn't have to come out at the start of the season. So it was uh, one or two races in, I think one race in. And so they'd run the 88 car at the season opening in Brazil and it had gone quite well, debuted Mm. the the new car. Um, And it didn't go as well. The drivers could barely fit into it. There were, and in my naivety, I I asked him some really dumb question about like, why did you bring this new car along if the old one was much better kind of thing? And and, and Adrian's face just like kind of, so we do laugh about that now, you know, his, uh, you know, his, uh, my incredible naivety as a press officer and, and, and his desire to, um, maybe not punch the press officer, but have stern words with the, with the press officer. Yeah. Did you get on? Did you get on from the start uh, with each other? Uh, was it like a an automatic kind of friendship there? Uh, yeah, yes, you know, because Adrian um, can be. You know, when he's at the racetrack, the this mm. Adrian Newey is there a lot at the racetrack. You have to see him like in the evening or away from the circuit, or to to meet the other slightly barking. You know. Um, <laughs> up for a laugh kind of Adrian Newey. He's, you know, he's very incredibly focused as, and rightly so, as you should be when he's at the circuit. So, um, so um, yeah, but I I think in those days, you know, the teams were much smaller. We would all hang out together. It wasn't, you know, and we, we worked 
um, I said we worked less hours. We we didn't in some ways because there was no curfew. There was no, you know, when you if you had to pull an all-nighter, you had to pull an all-nighter. If you hadn't pulled a couple of all-nighters, you know, by three races into the season, you know, quite frankly, it was like <laughs> not done an all-nighter yet. I don't think. It, was, it was a badge of honour. Um, but they were a lot smaller, so you spend a lot more time together. So you get to know know people people pretty quickly in that respect. Were you always into motorsport or was it kind of something you fell into? Do you know, I, I kind of fell into it. Yeah, I, I grew up loving anything with wheels and an engine. You know, one of my biggest thrills when I was a kid was we, we, when my dad got home from work, I was allowed to park the car in the garage. You know, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I have fond memories of a, of a, as a little tot of sitting on his knee and driving the car around picnic areas. You know, he'd do the pedals and I'd do the, I'd do the wheels kind of thing. So, and, and a lot of my, my misspent youth was, you know, misspent on the back of motorbikes and, and, you know, my, I had a couple of, couple of mates who raced but we were all kind of into cars so and and also I think the other thing that that kind of well two other things I grew up in a town um in Hampshire called Alsford which is where Derek Warwick comes from um so I used to walk past Warwick trailers on my way to school every morning and I knew there was a there was a beautiful orange Mark II Capri that was always parked outside Derek I've asked him he can't remember whose car it was he thinks it was maybe his uh his his uncle's um and so I'd read about him there. This is before he was in Formula One. This is when he was stock car racing. I'd read about him in the in the local paper. So I mm. had that awareness. And, you know, I, I was a child when James Hunt was was doing his thing and he was just such a dude. Um, and and he was all over television. You know, he'd appear on things like the Morecambe and Wise show and, you know, really popular. And, you know, this is in the days of three channels. So everybody was watching the same program. So James was a James was a massive star. Um, mm. So it was a combination of, the, of those things, really. But no, never set out to work in the sport. I actually started out working in in powerboat racing, um, oh, wow. and that was through friends who who built offshore powerboats. And then I kind of met Tony Jardine when I was working powerboat racing, and kind of morphed over to the to the motor racing side of things with him. Wow! Never looked back by the scene, by the sounds of it. Yeah, oh. it was a perfect fit. It, it sounds like it was. Um, and then, you, obviously, you say you, you work with people like Eddie Jordan. Uh, how long were you with, with Jordan then? In, in uh, the five years. Five years with Eddie Jordan. Well, six years. Yeah, six years altogether. Six seasons, yeah. So, which was, which was, I mean, it was it was a fun place to work. I think I was employee number 47 when I first joined the team. That was back in, in 92. <laughs> so, and that was everybody, everything. I mean, you got more people than that, you know, putting up the putting up the Red Bull motorhome these days. Um, but um, that was the entire team that built the car, you know, worked on the car, all the office staff, absolutely everything. So um, it was a tight unit, but but it was, you know, it was, I don't want to sound like, you know, one of those like in my day, but we did have a lot of fun. There was time to have a lot of fun. It was, yes, still a high pressure sport, but it didn't, it wasn't under the, the spotlight that it's under now. Um, it, it wasn't um, as, you know, it was run by, um garageistas you know the, the the frank williams and the eddie jordans and the ken tyrrells and the rather than corporations and obviously corporations have different sets of responsibilities to those that are a company that's run by you know by one person has so um and jordan just i mean everybody knows what ej's like you know the the ethos was we we work hard and we play hard so so we, um, you know, we all had our rock and roll. I was telling somebody the story this weekend, actually. I mean, you see the, the big stage at, at Silverstone 
Um, EJ and I lay claim to that one because we we actually used to, because Eddie loves his rock and roll and because it was impossible to get out of the British Grand Prix back in the day. So we would we would roll in a flatbed truck with a couple of sets of drum kits. So EJ would be up there with Nick Mason for Pink Floyd. We had the guitarist from the Pretenders would join in. Damon would get up with his guitar. You know, everybody would get up and, and kind of we'd have a bit of a jam session. Um, there was also a, a band that was made up of um, people who worked in, in, there was a couple of guys from Lotus, a couple of guys from Tyrrell called the Pit Stop Boogie Boys. They would get up and play. Um, and that was, it got to the point where all of the fans knew this was going on. This was all happening inside the paddock, which was obviously at the old, old Silverstone um, paddock area. And um, yeah, all the fans could hear this going on and they were all kind of trying to break in through the garages and get into where the party was. So I think it, it was at that point that Silverson said, listen, let's let's take this outside so that the fans can come and enjoy it. So yeah, EJ and I laid claim to, to that one, to having kind of started, or I say EJ and I, you know, Jordan, um, mm. having having started that one up in the first place. Yeah, no, good idea. I, I, I know my dad's actually seen that um, when he went to a Grand Prix, uh, I think. In the I hate mid, it when people say that. No, but, it was but, like, oh, my dad knows you. No, no, no. Oh, I, 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 I was also watching. I, I just didn't get to go to that week, that, that uh, Grand Prix. So it's not that I'm... Don't not, worry. Not, I had a very funny was. experience, actually, when I was walking out of the paddock one evening and, and you know, um, uh, Matteo Benotto was walking out at the same time signing autographs and um, and then somebody called me over and went, oh, my God, Louise Goodman. And you could see... Everybody under the under twenty of twenty five going, who's Louise Goodman? <laughs> Which it, it made me it made me chuckle. Um, you know, not not as many people watch. Um, and some people say to me, oh, "What are you doing now?" It's like you need to start watching the British Touring Car Championship. It's amazing racing. Um, but so, yeah, it, it does make me. I, listen, I I I totally understand it. You know, there's a whole generation. Um, that that grew up not you know after um, ITV had finished broadcasting. So well, not me. I, I was there during the ITV. In fact, the ITV coverage, everyone was everyone everyone was like, oh no, it can't go to ITV. We'll have ads during it. It'll have this, that, and the other. And actually, ITV brought extra everything. You know, Martin Martin Brundle kind of brought the grid walk in. You know, we've got you guys, pit, the pit lane reporters. You know, it, it it upped the kind of production of, of Formula One for the for the better, actually. We wouldn't never oh, have gotten that. So, you know, people forget, as you say, there was a lot of, you know, reluctance about are they going to have a birth? It's not going to be the same. And, um, you know, but people forget that very often, you know, when, when the BBC were covering Formula One, it was insert into grandstand. It, you know, they'd maybe go over to Murray five minutes before the start. They, they wouldn't mm. have a pre-show. Very often, Murray and James would be broadcasting from a from a cupboard in, you know, in London. And they're, they're talking about the Brazilian Grand Prix. They weren't even on site at a lot of them. So, um, I think people, you know, do forget that actually ITV did massively move the goalposts in, in terms of the, um, you know, the, the amount of investment and time and production values that they that they put into into Formula One. Absolutely. So good to see that you appreciate it. Yeah, no, it, it, it went from being, like you say, just kind of sandwiched in somewhere to something that yeah. was actually a, a proper show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and absolutely very, very enjoyable as well. Uh, Coops, I realise I've, I've been asking Louise the questions. Do you want to kind of take, take one away? Do you remember like a faux pas when you're interviewing a driver or maybe something like you'd say? Oh, honestly, you know, it's live TV. Very often you can't hear what somebody's saying to you. You've got you know, your earpiece is in with with five people talking at the same time and you're trying to digest what they're saying. And and yeah, I mean, there's rubbish that's come out of my mouth sometimes, you know, I, I, I used to, um, you know, my early years of working as a, you know, with, with ITV, I 
I, I just, I, I had no broadcast experience. ITV didn't ask me to do the job because I was a broadcaster. They asked me to do the job because I knew the sport. I knew the people. I knew what to ask. And I knew when to ask it as well, because, you know, it, it wasn't like this day and age when you get your drivers brought to you at a set time. It was a lot more kind of going and find things. So, you know, the fact that, you know, I was able to do things like, I think one of, for me, one of the moments in my, in my early years when I kind of thought, okay, this is okay, because as I say, my broadcasting skills were, were, were not that good. Um, and frankly, you know, when you make your debut broadcasting to eight, nine million people, which we would regularly get as an audience back in the day. Uh, but I can remember being in the garage, in the um, Arrows garage in Budapest when Damon was driving for them. And uh, because you could go into the garages there, but also because I knew everybody on the team and I could tell from, I just, I used to pop in and out of the garages get a feeling for what was going on. And I could tell from the body language of everyone in the team there was, that there was an issue. So I spoke to um, Annie Bradshaw, Doyen press officer of, of many years of, of the various different teams, who's now working with, with W Series. And I said, what's, what's happening, Annie? Is there an issue? And she said, yeah, there is. And so I was able to you know, say to the guys, come down to me, I've got a little line on, on Damon and predict the fact that, which we hadn't actually seen on track yet, that Damon was going to start slowing down. He wasn't going to win this race. So... And that kind of gave me some confidence. And I thought, yeah, okay, I can, there is a reason that they, that they got me to do it. But yeah, there's, there's all sorts of twaddle that's come out of my mouth. On, on, I, I have a terrible, I'm terrible with names. And, and I do have a, I actually won the, um, Alan Gow, the boss of the British Touring Car Championship, the award ceremony every year, he hands out some spoof awards. And I won the should have gone to Specsavers award because I regularly call drivers by the, by, by the wrong name, you know, but it, as I say, it's live telly. There's a, there's a lot going on. I'm not making excuses. I mm. probably should get the right name out, but I'm just explaining sometimes that, you know, you don't always know the circumstances when you're sitting at home watching on television. You don't know the circumstances of, of um, you know, what a, what, a, what a broadcaster is having to deal with at the time. So I'd like to think I haven't asked any too stupid questions. Um, and I don't think I've made any major boo-boos but i have had some kind of entertaining moments some I'll, of which I'll, are still available on youtube can you can you share one of those i i i'll share one that i made this weekend which i absolutely as soon as i said it i was you know i i, I don't know i felt like the world needed to swallow me up but i, I was interviewing obviously f2 drivers and i went up to roy nissany who had obviously just been in quite a bad accident and said oh how was your race this weekend and then i saw him was like no you want oh no you're not you're not jihan derivale you're you're on roy nissany i was like i'm so sorry no how are you are you okay after that incident so yeah that was a real kind of foot in mouth moment uh, and i was just so apologetic <laughs> do you know you learn just to make it a vague how's it going yeah because then it's uh it, it covers all sorts of bases uh-huh. That, well, that was my footy moment. So have, have you had any any really, you know, funny incidents that have happened on, on screen or in your, in your I did, life? I did have, and it's, and it's, as I say, it's still available on YouTube, but it, it wasn't me. It was DC um, <laughs> making inappropriate comments, as DC was wont to do. But in this DC <laughs> age, um, it's probably best we just leave it at that. <laughs> We'll have to go and Google that then. Go and, go, go and Google that. <laughs> Blo bloopers from Louise Goodman. <laughs> so in terms of moving from um, Formula One, you went to obviously, you, now you're now doing BTCC. Uh, it, what, what's it like covering BTCC and how is it different to F1? It uh, It is different. It is, it's, 
funny. A lot of people say to me, oh, you must really miss F1. And, you know, I love F1. F1 has given me a fantastic career, a fantastic but I'm kind of too old to stand out for an hour in the hot sun waiting for some 19-year-old a day to come out and talk to me, you know. And, and it mm. and I it Formula One has got a lot more restrictive. I a hundred percent um appreciate why. You know, it's mm. a very intense environment, it's a lot more controlled. It it has to be like that. There's a lot more call on driver's time, there's a lot more, you know, things can spiral out of control a lot more with social media, et cetera, et cetera. So I totally understand why that's the case. But you know, I, I'll often sum it up that you know, it's almost like in touring cars, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Whereas in Formula One, the answer is no. Now, what's the question? You know, we, we're a much bigger fish in a much smaller pond in the British Touring Car Championship. And it also, you know, another thing I'll often say is that like Formula One is an engineering formula. Mm. Touring cars is an entertainment formula. It's all about the entertainment. It doesn't exist without the television. And the, the drivers know that, the teams know that. So they are so accessible. You know, when I first started working in that paddock, I can remember I was... I was, I was, there was a driver, I can't remember who it was, but I wanted to grab a word with him. I could see him. I was looking into the team transport and I could see him down at the far end. And I was kind of trying to sort of, you know, attract his attention. One of the mechanics walked down and kind of looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying to get him. He went, we'll go in and get him. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I can go in the transport again. You know, there was another occasion that, you know, I, again, I was looking for a driver. Somebody said, oh, he's up there. So I, I knocked on the door and a voice said, you know, come in. I opened it up, they were in a briefing. In a driver's briefing, you know, as a press officer for a Formula One team, if I'd ever gone into a driver's briefing, it was like getting into Fort Knox, getting into the drawing office, but let alone going into a into a team briefing. And I, I was like reversed out, like, oh my son, they do what you want. I said, well, I just wanted Johnny. And they went, Oh, Johnny Louise wants a word with you. So they sent a driver out of the engineering briefing to to talk to, to the media. So it's wow. it's just a very um, you know, we 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 all work together. It's a, it's a much, um, we're a much bigger fish in a much smaller pond. Um, but as a result of that, the drivers and the teams all want to facilitate everything, you know, to, to, to help us out. So, um, and also, you know, much as I love the travel, I, I hang some, you know, put some hangers in the back of my car and drive somewhere. And then, you know, Sunday evening, I put them back in the car and I drive home again. You know, it's a lot easier in in that respect. And and I think when you look at the genuinely, you know, the schedule that the the F1 teams have to keep up to these days, it's just brutal, absolutely Mm. brutal. So it's really nice. I, you know, last year I probably did about seven or eight races. I'll probably do the same again this year, doing different things in in Australia, I'm um, part of the team that does the the sort of the, the circuit TV. So that's probably about the only, and I'll do that in Singapore as well when it doesn't clash with touring cars. So that's about the only time these days that I'm actually, you know, interacting with the Formula One drivers and, and doing interviews with them. And it's always quite funny because they'll kind of go, oh my God, you're still here. It's like, yes, <laughs> I'm popping up again once or twice a year. Um, so um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, as I say, it, it's, it's a lovely, lovely championship to work in. But also the racing is I am regularly jumping up and down and shouting at, you know, my, my monitor. I'm watching in the garage with wherever I might be with, you know, very often with, with Steve Ryder and the rest of the crew. And mm. I'm shouting at the television because it is just so exciting. Coops. Have either of you watched it? Coops is uh, nodding. Yeah, I, yeah I, I watch it every now and again. It's not something, unfortunately, that, that I have loads of time with all the other stuff in my life going on. But uh, yeah, I... Mm. Keep my ear to the ground, as it was, as it were. It is a bit more of a commitment, you know. Is it? But I tell you, the other really good thing about it is that, you know, if, if you look at the support races are on the package, one of those is British F4. So, and you've got the Janetta Junior Championship, which is mm. the first step out of karting for a lot of drivers. So, 
you know, I've seen, you know, Lando is a classic example. I was first interviewing or trying to interview Lando because he was so painfully shy as a as a oh. 14 year old when he was first racing in the Genetta Juniors. You know, Oscar Piastri raced in the British F4 Championship on, on his way up. You know, there are there are lots of drivers, you know, who it, it's part of the stepping stone. So anybody who's racing in the UK and in, in formula racing, I'll have, you know, seen them in their in their sort of formative years. Hmm. Keeps got a question for Louise. You know, just to touch on the British Junior Cars, I remember watching it when John Cleland and, you know, Soper and the likes were racing around in their Volks, their, their Vauxhall Cavaliers. And the Super Tour era. The Super Tour with the Renault, yeah. And the, the one year that Volvo decided to bring in an estate car, you're like, well, well what's that? <laughs> uh, and Murray Walker uh, commentating back in the day. Uh, so I remember watching it back then and then I kind of drifted away from it and then I kind of, you know, a bit like Tiller, and I kept in touch and I try and keep in touch on top of it now uh, and I will be I will admit that when it comes to the support races I sometimes fast forward them just so I can watch the touring cars because I mean do you know what if you're going to watch any of them watch the F4 and watch the Genetta Juniors because this is some amazing racing from 14 year old kids it's it's absolutely brilliant and as I say the F4 it's the stars of tomorrow coming up through that series yeah yeah uh, I think it's partly because like the coverage that ITV4 put on like it's ten o'clock in the morning till like seven, and they just put the. It's, it's, it's amazing that that kind of coverage, and I don't think it's really seen in any other kind of motorsport. Uh, well, I guess super bikes. They'll you know do coverage of. You know, it's not just the super bikes. They'll cover the you know the super stocks and everything else that's on the on the on the bill as well. So yeah. Well, but it got, is it's it is a big ask, as you say, it's six or seven hours of broadcasting. So, um, I, you know, that's a that's a big ask. It's, it's a lot. But we do have a comment on the the, the feed. Uh, I'm not a comment, sorry, a question from our, our usual follower, J.R. Wittens, asked about uh, the difficulty to balance travel between home life and work. Uh, I wonder if he's meaning that more when back in your F1 days. You, you kind of touched on it there. Yeah, I mean, I'll say to people that, you know, Formula One isn't a job, it's a way of life. And Mm. it it really is. It it takes you away. You have to have very understanding friends and family um, Mm. who, you know, and you're just about getting back in the groove after from, well, in fact, you know, it used to be kind of October. It's now like December that the season ends, isn't it? And um, you just kind of starting to like say oh I am here you can invite me to something and then the season starts again it's like oh thanks for the invite I can't come you know so you you do miss you miss out on a lot so you do have to um I think you have to you know you have to love that that way of life and I do enjoy the traveling it has become more problematic over the last few years for for obvious reasons um but uh yeah it's um it's taken me to some amazing places which one's your f- been your favourite circuit that you've been to? The ones that start with an M. Oh, okay. Melbourne, Melbourne, because I love Australia. Um, mm. My best friend from school went travelling in Australia and never made it home again. So it means it's mean I've I've got to see her pretty much once a year for the past you know few decades. <laughs> mm. uh, you know Monza is an amazing race, isn't it? Montreal, I was used to love. The thing I loved about Montreal was it. You know, it's a downtown venue, so you really get the get the buzz. You know, you know that the Grand Prix is in town when you're when you're somewhere somewhere like Melbourne. Um, mm. And Monaco, you know, Monaco was a bitch to work at back in the day. It really was an absolute nightmare. The, 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 you know, the 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 media center was 
probably half a mile underneath grandstands through the pit lane, you know, and then you get there. And this is back in the days of, you know, laboriously printing everything off on a, on a small little photocopy. And I'd get up to the media centre and somebody said, oh, we've got a copy of yesterday's release. You think, no, you know, because you knew you had that <laughs> slog all the way back. And in fact, all the way back, back up to, you know, this is in the days before they extended out the, the harbour wall. Only the top five teams were actually down in that, that sort of iconic paddock that we see. The rest of the teams were housed in a multi-storey car park up the hill, which I think I, they sometimes see they put the F3 or the F, you know, one of the other categories up there now. But uh, so you see the mechanics like, you know, driving the cars down the hill into into the pit lane for the for the start of the session. So, so a bit of a bitch to work out, but hey, it's Monaco. You know, you, you, you've got to love it. And love it you, while you can as well, given all the stories flying around about Monaco might not be in the calendar. I know. Yeah, well, would, yeah, would you be but... would you be shocked to see it go? Would you would would you be sad to see it go? Or do you think the F1 has outgrown it now? Be, personally, I would be sad to see it go. Is it a brilliant race? No, it's normally pretty boring. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I think it is when... It's the race that I remember as a little kid seeing mm. on the television, you know, because it's it's got the glamour, it's got the, um, and it's a personal thing. For me, you know, Miami, Vegas, it's never going to have that same kind of glamour that, that somewhere like like Monaco will do. So, um, yeah, I would be, I would be very sad. And I just want to talk about a women in motorsport. Obviously, you've been in motorsport for a long time now, but uh, over, over recent years, they've been trying to, push more women into the sport um are you seeing that change or do you think the uh, motorsport needs to change even more to kind of to, to accommodate more women in the sport i i think accommodate more women is a better i'm not to be pedantic here but you know it's not about pushing women into the sport it's about no. it's about um it's about the sport being open and accepting and in fact you know i say that one thing i will always say to people formula one is incredibly competitive they really don't give a monkeys about your ethnicity, about your gender. They mm. want the best people for the job. The fact of the matter is, it's the pool that they're drawing upon that lacks the diversity. I don't think it's my personal opinion. It's not the attitude of the people in Formula One or any other sport. It's the availability of the the, the ethnic and the gender gender mix to um, you know to to be in that in that pool of expertise that they're calling upon. So. So, um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm quite passionate about. It's something that I, you know, I, I say what you like about Lewis Hamilton, but nobody can say anything bad about a guy who's absolutely put his money where his mouth is with, you know, with the, 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 the money that he's put in, the effort yeah. that he's put into, um, you know, first of all, having the, um, the investigation and now, you know, the, the funding that he's put forward. I, I, I'm quite involved with... Um, uh, the FIA girls on track, as was Dare to Be Different. So we were actually announced as one of the best beneficiaries of the first round of, of funding, uh, yeah. which is great because you know we're going out into schools working with young girls, and very often actually it's working with their with their parents, it's working with the teachers to change that perception that that Formula One is is all for the boys. Because you know you were at Silverstone at the weekend, it wasn't an audience of just boys, was it? You know there Absolutely are there are not. a lot of women who are very very passionate about the sport. There are a lot of women who are very knowledgeable about the sport, but but unless, I, I found it really interesting. I, I did an online seminar a couple of years or an online chat um, during lockdown, and it was with six engineers, five engineers and, and one um, female mechanic. Of those six girls, five of them had been to all girls' schools. So 
for me, in a limited study, clearly, that's telling me that in mixed gender schools, the boys are being pushed towards the STEM subjects. The girls aren't being encouraged to do that. Um, in the same way that, you know, a lot of young drivers, if you say to them, how did you get involved in racing? It's like, oh, we went karting for a mate's birthday. How many people take their 10-year-old daughter karting for their birthday? You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah. it's, I think it's those perceptions. For me, it's more the perceptions outside the sport that need to change at a, you know, at a lower level so that those people of, you know, it becomes aspirational for them. And it's an element of the visibility as well. I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of single-sex racing. I've always love the fact that you know motorsport is is gender neutral um mm. but i do massively applaud w series for the visibility that they have have given um and just so there are there are a lot of little girls out there now who look at the television and think oh i can be a racing driver there's a girl who's being a racing driver you know yeah. susie wolf who set up dare to be different always said you, you need to see it to be it so and i think that's that's very true whether you're whether you're female or whether you come from a from a different you know racial background, the fact that there are you know Lewis is the first black driver. You see very few people from ethnic minorities working on the cars, or and you don't see as many girls you know mm. working in those sort of what people would call male roles. Yeah, the um, engineering roles, those sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, but that's that's not going to change until we change perceptions and until we change an, an education system that is um, and, uh, you know, um, the way that parents are talking to their children that are saying this is open to all. Yeah. And as I say, W Series has had an absolutely fantastic weekend because they had one million viewers um, tuning in to watch it across both Channel 4 and yeah. uh, Sky, which that's a massive number really. And really obviously it just shows there's a desire for women to, or for anyone to be watching female drivers uh, racing around these tracks yeah. in, in fast cars. So yeah. long may it continue and hopefully it will be the change that's needed to get an actual uh, woman behind the, the steering wheel of a Formula One car soon. Yeah. Well, we need to get them behind the steering wheel of a Formula Three car and a Formula Two car and then. Yeah. Work up, work up through car, the feet. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, th- I noticed when I was doing a wee bit of, you know, uh, research that you are the owner, if I'm right, of Goodman Media. Yes. Yes. What, what does that entail, being an owner of a media company, and why did you So it's a media training business. So I, um, I'd kind of always thought when I was working for ITV doing the Formula One, this job has a, you know, a finite sort of lifespan about it I need to think of something else that I could do um and I was actually up at the up at the autosport show and I was chatting um with a couple of uh, good mates of of um of Jensen's um and um so Chris Buncom and, and Richie Williams used to hang out with him at a lot of the races um mm. I can't remember if it was Chris or Richie said to me oh do you know anybody who does media training because a mate of mine and I thought ah that's what I could do I've got a PR background obviously I've you know done various different forms of journalism I've done the telly I've done radio I've done right so I thought oh that's what I could do so of course did nothing about it until ITB announced that they were pulling out of Formula One and thankfully you know that was announced very early in the season so I I had an entire year's worth of work to to pull my finger out and set up the company but yeah so I I basically were and I and um I think there is um the perception I think of media training it has sometimes been it's about making drivers say all the right things which 
for me, it's 100% not that because mm. I'm a broadcaster. I don't want boring, bland PR machines on the end of my microphone. It's about giving the drivers an, an understanding of the environment that they're dealing with. It's about, you know, saying to them how they can make media opportunities work for them because it's, it's, it's a really important area for young driver these days. If you look at the budgets that they've got to pull together, millions and millions of pounds to get. And that's before you've even got to Formula One. Um, so, you know, that's just to get up through the, through the feeder category. So you've inevitably got to have big businesses involved. You've, you've got to be either that or, you know, a parent with very, 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 very deep pockets. But generally speaking, that's, you know, there's not many drivers who are able to do that. So mm. they, they are, um, you know, they need to understand how to market themselves and they need to understand how to protect themselves in the media environment as well, which inevitably gets a little bit more, Hostile is too strong a word, but it's it's a bit trickier for them to deal with it. So so I basically work with everybody from you know young carters up to some of the Formula One drivers I've worked with, you know, both coming up through the ranks, but also in you know, nowadays every now and then I'll get a call from a Formula One team saying we've got a it tends to be nuances that you're dealing with when you get to that point. But but with the engineers, you know, you see engineers appearing on television, mm. then often, careful how I put this across, but you know. Uh, engineers often aren't um, the best. Their head's in the cloud with very technical things. You know, they're not always the best sort of com communicators. There are some yeah. notable exceptions. You know, somebody like Rob Smedley always stands out. You know, um, you know, um, Pat Simmons, when I was working as a broadcaster, I'd always go to Pat because he could explain, as can Rob, you know, Jock Clear could explain a complicated technical subject in an understandable way with some energy and some personality. So, so basically, that's that's what I do: work with people to help them um, understand the media environment that they're dealing with and use it to to their best advantage. Have you, have you noticed a shift? Should we now talk a lot of like everything's on like in there's that cancel culture? You make a slight mistake and it's everywhere. Have you noticed a shift from back in the day to now? with regards to the kind of that size of media? A hundred percent. I think it's multifaceted. I think, um, you know, back in the day, uh, if a driver said something a little bit untoward, uh, all he had to deal with was his boss. Mm. Did Eddie Jordan care? You know, yes, he cared, obviously. But, you know, it, it was... Um, you didn't have to take into account because you weren't getting as much money from, didn't need as much money to run a team. Therefore, you weren't dealing at multinational board level with big corporations. And obviously, if you're carrying a corporation's name on the side of your car, you're carrying their reputation with them. And as a, as a, as a driver, anybody associated with the team, you are very often the spokesperson. Um, so you have to carry the responsibility for that, for that reputation as well. So, and I think then you add in, um, you know the the, the twenty four hour media age that we that we live in. Um, the fact that you know back in the day, you know the, the the newspapers would phone in their copy down the telephone. You know before mobile phone days, point part. You know it would there'd be a copy taker typing it all that. So nowadays it's a twenty four hour media age. So and it's very easy for a journalist in inverted commas to pick up a bit of a story, pick a quote, twist it around. You know, you're not just dealing with the journalists who are in front of you. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it is, it's a really complicated uh, landscape with minefields scattered all around it. And, and sadly, we, you know, as, as we've seen um, just last week, 
um, you know, you, you see drivers that, that fall foul of that. So, um, and it's, you know, it, it's, uh, um, it's very, it's very tricky for them. Um, I think it is, um, you know, when your entire world um, crashes around for, and I'm not condoning any, you know, there are words that people find offensive. There are words that are inappropriate, but yeah, we all make mistakes, don't we? Um, and I think nowadays the, the the penalty for those mistakes is is much larger because a lot more people get to hear about that mistake. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, more absolutely. scrutiny. Obviously, we had Vips and Nelson Piquet last last week uh, alone within the kind of F one F two kind of world. Um, but yeah, we, we we don't need to delve into that. Let's get gets quite quite deep. Yeah, it's quite a bit heavy there, didn't it? <laughs> it's quite late. Now. It's quite we could get quite deep. Um, but I, I'm sure we could talk all evening. I don't want to keep you all evening, so uh, we'll let, we'll let you get off. But thank you very much for coming to speak to us today, Louise. My pleasure. Nice to chat with you. Yeah, it's been really lovely speaking to you too. Um, have you got anything you want to promote while you're here? Like your own uh, socials or any British touring cars where they can go see you or anything like what's that? British touring cars, ITV4, next race, Knock Hill, God's Own Country up there <laughs> in Wee Bonnie, Scotland. Um, yep. is in the, we have a little bit of a break <laughs> at the moment, actually, because ITV4 covers the Tour de France. Um, right. So we have a little bit of a break in our schedule to accommodate that. So I think it's middle, can't remember off the top of my head, second weekend in one moment caller. <laughs> <laughs> Look at your this is how uh, diary. Old school I am. I still have a file of facts. And we are there the on the thirty uh, first of July. Thirty first oh, of July. Be there or be square. <laughs> now that's an old saying for you as well. Okay, well, yeah, we are Everything F1. You can find us on all our social platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. You can also find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. And of course, you're listening to us on this podcast. So please hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. Uh, we are Everything F1. I'm James Tiller. This has been Coops. Uh, we've also had a lovely guest, Louise Goodman. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, we'll see you next week when we review the Austrian Grand Prix. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.